legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guest today is Luke Dodson. In a follow-up to COVID-19, The Death of Tourism, published in March 2022, this talk explores how the situation regarding travel, tourism, and general mobility has evolved since that time. We examine the various agendas seeking to restrict human activity and some of the philosophical dimensions of our need to travel and explore. From the original video description, arguably the single most significant infringement on freedom imposed by the 2020 pandemic lockdowns was on freedom of movement. Only travel deemed essential by authorities was permitted and then only under strict control. National and international travel ground to a halt, while in some areas, citizens were forbidden even from leaving their own homes. Second only to personal liberty, the biggest casualty resulting from these draconian restrictions has been the travel industry. In early 2022, global freedom of movement seems to be slowly returning, but will travel for business or leisure ever be quite the way it was during the years BC before COVID? Or will globalist technocrats finally fulfill their openly stated goal of ending freedom of movement for all but their elite echelons, leaving the remainder of the world's population languishing in a virtual reality prison? Hello and welcome, Luke, and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Oh, thanks, Greg. It's great to be back. Look, today we're going to be talking um, about basically travel and freedom of movement. And this is something that uh, some people might listen to that and saying, well, okay, well, what, what's the relevance of that? What's happening at the minute uh, relating to that? But this is something that stems back to the C-19 years, let's put it that way, the pandemic response. And of course, there was major restriction of movement um, at that time for reasons that were purported to be obvious. Because pandemic, you can't go anywhere. You can't see other people. You can't move around. Blah blah blah. So yeah. and all sorts of things uh, were um, introduced at that time to uh, enforce this. Uh, some act- actualized, you know, uh, and some did not. There was the idea of um, you know passports and you know vaccine passports, and um, everything went online. Everything was going to be delivered to your door. Everything was going to be virtual. In, in this response to this crisis, whatever you think about it, um, it was the first time in my lifetime, certainly, that we'd seen uh, these sort of restrictions envisaged, if not enforced. So we're going to be talking about where we are now with that, because this is something that has not gone away. There's no question about it. It's issues of freedom of movement and of uh, travel and transport are very, very current. They're some of the hottest uh, political and social issues at the minute, 
But before we get into that, uh, just tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Tell them, uh, you know, where they can find you uh, online, what it is you do, what you're about. So uh, I'm a I'm a blogger and fellow podcaster. Um, I I put my content on Substack uh, called Flint and Steel is uh, where you can find my stuff. Um, a kind of a a bit of a background as to where I'm coming from, sort of relevant to this um, topic and how I actually got into blogging back in 2020 was that um, I have a long-standing connection to the sort of environmental movement. You know, my my mum was taking me to climate change marches when I was sort of 12, 13, you know, environmental um activist demonstrations reclaim the streets and things like this and so when over the course of that 20 year period or so um you know i wasn't particularly massively heavily involved in environmental activism in my adult life particularly i got involved in a few local conservation campaigns you know i did a bit of campaigning for the anti-fracking movement in the uh so mid 2010s um but i wasn't like a hardcore you know hardcore swampy type or anything i just just something that i clearly you know valued and a lot of the time thought you know it'd be nice to live more naturally um you know uh, um, i've spent some time at tinker's bubble for example which is an eco village uh, in somerset and you know i've explored those sorts of things um but sort, sort of keep it relevant uh what happened with the environmental movement as i saw it was over the kind of 20 year period it morphed very dramatically from being this back to nature back to the land you know green tree hugger hippie scene to this very technocratic technologically orientated um and very corporate world which which in fairness, you could trace those things right back to the beginnings of the environmental movement in the, the 60s and 70s. I have a friend, actually, who's working on a fascinating book, uh, which is all about the history of sustainability. Uh, and it, it's it, it's wild, you know, to use it. <laughs> no pun intended. It's um, it, the, the history of the term, like sustainable sustainability, um, right from the start has been a very complicated and the environmental movement, very complicated, um, complex set of factors going on there. Um, but what it seemed to me was that this was really reaching ahead in sort of 2020, and you had the Extinction Rebellion stuff and um, all of that kind of climate activism, Greta Thunberg, and it all just seemed massively fake to me. So that's what got me into blogging, actually, was trying to write out what I was feeling about all these things that people around me seem to be getting drawn into so heavily you're right the massively fake thing is um key here because i i think that we're you know a generation apart but i think we have many of the same instincts and i was reading in the 1980s you know alvin toffler's uh, future shock books from the, the club of rome whatever you think about that but mm. warning of you know a climate emergency or and, you know, it wasn't framed that way at the time but it was like you know the, the the planet's in trouble and going forward 
you know, things have to change. Many of the things that John Michael Greer, who were both um, followers of, and he's been my guest on the podcast many times, he, he refers back to that time, you know, the, the, the oil shock of the early 70s and the peak oil movement that came from that. Uh, so I absolutely understood and empathize with that, you know, the, the path that we're on as a species in terms of uh, uh, technology and the environment, uh, you know, cannot continue. Um, but there was something, as you say, very fake, very questionable about the mainstream response to that. Uh, there's no question about that. And I think that's where that, that was the case back in the early 70s, even. Mm. And and it's it's continued. It went away somewhat in the eighties, as I've said many times. You know, uh, you know, with uh, particularly the Amer- the American administration under Reagan, morning in America, uh, good times are here again. But it has really had a major resurgence in the you know the first uh, part of the twenty first century. And you men- mentioned Greta Thunberg, and that's it's it's something. There's something about it that's hollow, and mm. I'm not quite sure what that agenda is or what the reason behind that lack of substance is but i mean that's partly what we're here to explore you know with, with the sort of the the travel restrictions that we we were talking about in the kind of um in the run-up to this you know in, i can see the point to that i can see that there's a there's a justification for bringing reducing air travel you know there, there are too many planes in the skies i mean uh you know for one thing uh just the whatever one thinks about the chemtrail notion uh it does seem to be you know i'm not not necessarily suggesting there's something uh deliberate going on behind that maybe there is i don't know but regardless it seems to be people seem to notice that the amount of exhaust going into the sky will kind of create this sort of cloud vapor and it will change the weather a little bit um you know, it seems it's kind of nice not to have all these planes with all their exhaust going into the sky. You know, uh, so I can I can understand why why you'd want to what, what you'd want to reduce that. But it's never the it's never these these um, Davos types going. Well, we're going to lead the way, guys. We're going to we're scrapping our private jets. We're going to melt them down to create other things. We're going to recycle them, and we're going to we're going to travel to Davos on a bike or a horse and car or something instead of flying in. We never say that. We say you've got to you've got to reduce your travel. You've got to, um, you know, that, that, that's that's the thing that I think I saw happening with the climate movement was that it's very much a case of um, impoverishment for thee, but not for me. Um, and all of these billionaires telling everybody that they have to live a reduced quality of life and eat bugs and um, you know stay in stay in the pod or whatever it is, um, but they don't. And and we saw this during the COVID restrictions that the 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 the, the, the elite were gathering and having parties and traveling and going on holiday and all the things that they were already doing. It was even better for them because there were none of us lot about, so they could, they could, you know, just waltz through. Um, 
I did know people who managed to travel during that time, which it, you know, travel was possible. Um, it was just there, there was less of it, obviously. And, um, you know, it was eerie it, from what I hear going through airports because they were so empty. Um, so it probably was, if you get, if you did get to travel, probably was quite a nice time to travel, weirdly enough, you know. One of the things that drove me to, um, suggest that we have this conversation today was news headlines. Now, I don't pay any attention to the news really. Um, I made a vlog during the uh, pandemic period uh, entitled Stop Watching the News, encouraging people to do just that. But when I sign on uh, to read my emails in the morning, one thing that happens first, a series of news headlines, you know, you can just click through to your email. But first thing you get is news headlines. And I'd been just, you know, observing that's as much news content as I do um, absorb is just, you know, those first four or five headlines of what's current in the day. And I had noticed that the, uh, I I noticed two themes that kept coming up again and again and have been for like a a couple of years now, maybe longer than that. But, uh, and that was transgender and transport. It was war on motorists, constant news stories about motorists, 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 or anybody indeed who wanted to move around that was coming up and the transgender thing. The transgender thing is not, I don't know, maybe tangentially uh, relevant to all of this, but it was just every single day there was (laughs) one or more, usually more than one news story about uh, a quote unquote war on motorists or about uh, the costs of going up of motoring or travel, uh, insurance costs, uh, you name it. I mean, and uh, you know, electrification of vehicles, mm. problems with that. It's it. It was more than fifty percent of the news content, and that suggested to me that there was something going on because that that's pure propaganda. So there's a reason why they were they were trumpeting not only uh, the transgender stuff but the transport stuff. Yeah. I noticed this as well, actually. Um, and it is, once again, one of those really interesting moments of a kind of a ideological reshuffling going on because, you know, as I say, my my background, I remember the, the road protests of the 90s. And, um, you know, my, my family is very much on the side of them because uh, there was a huge push to build loads of roads in in Britain in the 1990s and destroyed quite a lot of, you know, old growth forests and sacred sites and, you know, all the rest of it. Um, and uh, back then it was like, it seemed very weird and uh, fringe to have any kind of critical view of the prevalence of cars on the road. Um, but it snuck in it was snuck in by the back door and then all of a sudden it's kind of mainstream but in a way that i don't recognize i know quite a few other people from that generation you know veterans of the road protest movement do not uh don't don't support this kind of ulez or any of these sort of you know uh controlling measures um because it's obvious to anyone who's properly paying attention i think but i mean i I could be i could be um speaking a bit presumptuously there but 
it seems to me pretty obvious and quite a few other people it's not really about protecting the environment exactly except as a kind of a global playground for some billionaires to waltz around in you know shooting big game or whatever that that that's the sort of it's it's protecting the environment as this sort of um well i mean it's not uh, as well because there's all kinds of other things the same the same forces are, are getting up to um that are, are, are massively destructive to the environment i mean one of them is is um the net zero initiative is producing a huge amount of industrialization of the countryside because they're trying to put up solar farms and batteries uh, huge battery storage centers there's several that are optioned down the road from where i am currently there's a solar farm that they're trying to cr- they're trying to build a solar farm on the original bag end up in oxfordshire um but the the literal bag end that inspired uh tolkien um in his depiction of the shire and bag end where um where bilbo lives so you know the forces of mordor <laughs> managed to cloak themselves as being they're really on the side of the ants and really all they need to do is industrialize bag end and the shire and it will really be for you know saruman right there is this you know saruman is on board with the net zero agenda guys uh, i mean as a little kind of side note there was actually an article in the guardian a few years back uh, criticizing tolkien and the lord of the lord of the rings for its anti-progress sort of anti-industrial um you know reactionary narrative this is the guardian you know um and so right okay officially we can say the guardian is on the side of saruman and the orcs you know so <laughs> well yeah because you know uh, tolkien was very environmentally concerned wasn't he and uh you know it's sort of thinly veiled in in many of his narratives there's something interesting about i know we're talking about travel and transport and freedom of movement and you know obviously we're talking about you know cars you know personal transport related to that there's something interesting in this for me which um i would like to understand and so far in you know at least two-thirds of a lifetime i haven't really managed to do so i wouldn't use my term to describe myself as a petrol head you know like a jeremy clarkson or you know top gear mm. type thing but i you know i love cars i'm really interested in cars and if in in mad max okay this has got an there's an interesting crossover i think here mad max the uh series of post-apocalyptic films starring mel gibson the the mad max car that that black big black thing that roars like thunder that he drives as a ford falcon xb um i get goosebumps if i hear that thing just turned over you just start that, you know. <laughs> um, so what's that excitement about? It's about going into the, driving into the sunset in a machine like that. What on earth has got that got to do with, with human existence, human being, human survival? What is it about that sense of, I can go anywhere I want at any time, that seems to be so vital, uh, in, you know, in our experience of this realm i don't i i feel it at a visceral level 
But mm. it seems to make no sense on one way. And this is tied into everything we're talking about from, on one hand, uh, freedom of movement and go where you like, do what you want to do. And on the other hand, you can't do this. This is polluting. It, you know, it, it uses up resources. It burns oil. Um, it's horrible. Uh, it's destroying the environment and, and, ev- and everything in between. So there, there, there's something about it because it seems so abstract in a way. You know what? What what's this thing with cars? You know what? <laughs> what's that got to do with um? As, as much as the material to build cars has been on the earth since the earth was formed, it was only relatively recently that we put those materials together into these things, these machines. Well, I I also I I, I quite like driving sometimes. I mean, you know, there's obviously obviously situations like a traffic jam or you know, um, having to. negotiate a tractor on a narrow country lane or something uh, a kind of annoying but overall i i i quite enjoy driving um and there is a certain there's a certain modern romance that's been built up around the car and you you can see that going right back to um like kerouac's on the road you know, I mean, if you read Kerouac's on the road now, most of the book is just basically them driving around, you know, smoking cigarettes and reefer and, you know, going, yeah, wow, listening to jazz and just driving across America like it's nothing. You know, it's, it's real. It had a novelty back then, I think, in the sort of 1950s, um, where the, this technology was still relatively new. It'd been, you know, the the car technology had probably been around for about 50 years and only really had become widely used um from the sort of 20s onwards so ford i think was kind of started the, the model t ford was probably probably around the sort of 1910s or 20s wasn't it i'm not quite so sure with dates but something along those lines yeah yeah it was it was like the very early days of this yeah and you know i think it's very much it's very much tied in with the the sort of mythos of our contemporary culture and our world, you know, um, in the same way that loads of sort of folk songs from Mongolia and Tuva and places like this are about horses, um, which is, you know, their, was their primary mode of transport. Some of them still is. And, and there is something about that personal, having your own means of transport, you can go anywhere. I mean, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm fully I'm the first to admit the car makes a whole bunch of things a whole lot easier. It really does. You know, if you've got you've got to carry lots of stuff and get to a, a place that's miles away, just chucking it all in the boot and driving off. Uh, it's you know it's nothing like no there's nothing like it. And you know if you have to carry it on your back, even if it's just the train station, it is different. Um, so there, there is that. I mean, Mad Max is a really funny one, I think, because it, it's the idea that the background of the Mad Max is a kind of an oil crisis, and the result of the oil crisis is that is that everybody drives in cars all of the time. I know <laughs> it doesn't right. make any sense. And it's like, it's like it's like hyper dependency, isn't it? You know, like or a hyper, uh, if not maybe not conscious celebration, but it's like. You know, this this was the mode of transport um, that was uh, becoming extinct, 
you know so but it's the only one we have you know because yeah. you don't you don't see anyone in mad max on horseback exactly yeah it, it's and it's this sort of it's the sort of the dream the the dream the dreaming of our culture which imagines a kind of um you know harsh barbarian culture and environment that um that uses our own technology so it's just kind of the the you know the, the it's the dreamlike nature of it it's uh it, the 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 kind of unrestrained lawlessness you can give free reign to the id and sort of these kind of fantasy barbarian societies um which are harsh but you know kind of give some um give some sort of outlet in to to these reckless dangerous violent impulses that we have especially men but women to some extent too oh yeah and there's something phallic about um the car you know we, we talk, talk about like you know penis extension and blah 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 you know yeah. I've, I've heard that throughout my life um you know of, of uh being around car culture shall we say so yes. yeah that you see a, you see someone with a sports car and you go oh it's compensating for something you know that that kind of thing yeah 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 and and, and uh no doubt some some people are but you're right I mean, because women have different relationships to cars than, than the men do in general in general and and there's something to that uh, yeah, no, no doubt. Um, so maybe we'll uh, cut to uh, more concrete issues uh, with you know in terms of uh, transport and freedom of movement. One of the big trends at the moment, of course, is electrification of transport. You know, yeah. uh, uh, electric cars, but also driverless cars. But it seems to me that that in itself is an agenda that is not what it seems to be on the surface because electrification of transport, let's just take, you know, uh, day-to-day, the, the family car or whatever it happens to be, that the electric cars cannot fulfill their stated role, which is to replace the fossil-fueled fleet. Uh, petrol and diesel cars go away, replaced by electric cars. That is not possible on a technical level. So it seems to me that what it's really about not the environment, but mobility. So yeah. the electrification of the car fleet, truck fleet, whatever, and they're even talking about insane shit like, you know, electric planes, you know, it's never going to happen. So therefore, mobility will be reduced. And that is actually what this is about. Uh, and we already see in the early days, we haven't even got to some of the, the, these deadlines, you know, about uh, all cars must be electrified by a certain date. That's not even happened yet. We're already seeing, you know, things like, oh, battery life, uh, charging problems, there aren't enough mm. charging stations, all of that. So that are, that's indicating that uh, this will not, you know, the agenda as set out will not occur. So that's why I think it's about restricting mobility. And that was that was kind of baked into the cake from, from day one. Yes, I think so. Um, the The idea of electrifying the whole transport system is in its own way, it suddenly occurred to me, every bit as dreamlike as the Mad Max idea. You know, it's just the sort of respectable uh, bourgeois liberal guardian reader's version of that dream, where you can still have your personal car and your your um, affluent suburban lifestyle, 
but it's green because it's electric so it doesn't smell of diesel exhaust and you know it's doesn't make any noise and it's all kind of um seems very safe on the surface until you just just crunch some of the numbers down and you realize hang on how much electricity how much power does it take to charge a battery and how much of that power is going to be from fossil fuels anyway um most likely quite a lot um especially judging by the way that renewables have been performing in germany over the past year which invested a huge amount in its renewable um infrastructure well guess what they're um they're opening loads of coal power plants now here so obviously it didn't work out too for them that's just that's just the sort of plugging it in and charging it bit and how expensive that is um then you get to the batteries themselves what are they made of um what kind of processes are involved in making it in getting these uh minerals lithium you know um cobalt coltan all these other ones i mean they're probably updating the technology all the time so nonetheless you know battery lifespan is a massive problem and once they're spent then what do we do with them do we just let them lie around well personally i'd rather have a load of old diesel vehicles lying around that you can't use anymore well in fact you probably could you probably could do something with a diesel vehicle you probably could if it's just scrapped then probably much easier to get it going again or you know break it up for parts than an electric vehicle which is just toxic toxic materials <clears throat> really dangerous they explode when they catch fire they can't put it out um was it loot was it luton airport i can't remember there was an airport somewhere oh, the car park yeah the car park massive yeah. fire and they said oh it wasn't it wasn't an ev that caught fire but there were evs there that it wasn't an ev that started it necessarily that's what they say nonetheless there were loads of evs in the car park that caught fire and you know you, you a, a car on fire or a, a bus on fire or something is a is a dicey thing for sure you don't want to be near one of those but an electric vehicle on fire is a whole different ball game. I mean, anyone who wants to see something that will scare the pants off them, type in EV battery fire on YouTube and, you know, you'll see some infernos there. So the, the, the whole, the whole thing, as, as you say, uh, you know, the fact is that I don't think these things are going to become much cheaper to make, to buy, to run in the next uh, decade or so so i think you're right i think that whether it's by design a, a means to reduce people's mobility by making transport really expensive and making it um difficult to get hold of um the most the most uh the most efficient motorized vehicles that we have which are pe petrol and diesel at this point or it's just an accident and they're all just sort of boardroom minded powerpoint presentation filled sort of um statistical gobbledygook believers that actually think that we could electrify the whole fleet i'm sure there are lots of people like that in these um in these focus groups and and advisory boards as well um 
either way it will it will it, either it just won't fly and they'll have to walk back on it which i think they they are to some extent on a lot of these net zero things or they it will just end up with very few cars on the road because it'll be quite expensive to run an electric vehicle and if you can't buy a new diesel car or a petrol car then what are you going to do you're going to have to walk i suppose but they'll probably try and they'll probably try and um limit that as well and say you can't walk too far because you know you might be going to do something you might be walking somewhere and expending carbon or something. <laughs> well that's already been done you know during the uh the, you know the c19 period you know it's you can't lockdown. exactly yeah 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 that's already been done uh well what you're describing there is the you know in terms of like you know an agenda is there one and is it deliberate uh is a kind of uh conspiratorial versus the cock-up theory of history that they talk about isn't it um yeah. you know is this being done deliberately or is it just you know um <laughs> incompetence yeah uh, i tend to think it's a combination of both yeah i i, I go with that as well I, I was making this case to um to a friend of mine recently who I, I hadn't seen for a while and and he was kind of going it's all just cock up and you know there's no conspiracies it's just opportunism and i was going well there's a lot of spectrum there's a wide spectrum in between just opportunism and and incompetence and um naivety and gullibility and conscious deliberate conspiracy it, it's very hard for me to you know i mean another friend actually brought up an interesting point just as a side note is you know why do they show us the davos meetings why do they they film them where they never film like the bilderberg meetings or the trilateral commission or any of those things so why do they want us to see davos and you know is it maybe it is a distraction to make us think that these people are just blundering vacuous idiots because you would get that impression if you watch davos and in fact they are much more scheming and um conspiratorially minded than than it, you you would get from watching these sorts of boring PowerPoint presentations about the sustainable initiatives of the markets of the future and all this sort of thing. Um, even though they do discuss things in Davos that are obviously do sound quite sinister. Um, so I don't know, basically, you know, it's, but I, I, I'm like you, I tend to think it's, it, there's a lot of combination of a lot of a combination of the two, I think going on. Well, one thing I did was subscribe to the World Economic Forum YouTube channel oh, right, uh, yeah. uh, to get all updates, everything. And oh my God, <laughs> if you'd like to sink rapidly into a coma, then <laughs> please subscribe to that channel because, I mean, there's a, updates almost every day uh, of talks and it's just unbelievable. Uh, they just the asinine... It's just ridiculous. Really so, boring, isn't it? They're, yeah, it's so incredibly boring. so. Almost, almost, almost in a calculated way. Yes, yes. Which, yeah, which, which would kind of support this idea that maybe it's just you know this this. But then again, you know, anyone who's in, been involved in a an organization or seen people who are power hungry operate, you know, they, they often are like that. They're just 
bland, vacuous people, you know, and the the higher up you get, I guess you probably do get um, a greater evil in some way, but perhaps it just doesn't get any more interesting than that. I don't know. I know. I, I, I think you're probably right. Um, in terms of what we're talking about overall, freedom of movement, transport, what a lot of people don't get in terms of uh, renewables, uh, you know, whether it's uh, electric cars or solar panels or wind turbines or, you know, offshore energy, is that all of that uh, the infrastructure behind it, but also the literal, you know, the wind turbines and the solar panels and the batteries for the electric cars are completely 100% dependent on fossil fuels for their uh, production. Yeah. You, you cannot make renewables with renewables. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. LegalizeFreedom.com